Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Uh, This is the time of year where we start thinking about uh, what we want to see be different uh, in our lives. Right, the new year sort of marks this point where uh, we can think about and talk about uh, living life differently. Uh, and culturally, we call it resolutions, right? But basically, it's looking at my life, looking at the things that I can control. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of things that all of us would like to see be different that we have no control over, and so we can spend a bunch of time stewing and stressing about those things. Or we can say, well, here are the things I can do something about. So here's the things that I can do something about that I want to see be different in me or in my life. So I resolve to make this different, to see this thing as being different. I have this this resolution. Uh, and as we uh, talked about last week, uh, a, a supermajority of resolutions do not make it to February, even, let alone all year long. And there's lots of reasons for that. We won't dissect uh, all of them. But let's be real. It's January 9th. And some of you are going, oh, yeah, I made a resolution. I forgot about that. Uh, so this, this happens. And a lot of it, I think, a big chunk of it, has to do with our motivation. As we said last week, well, last week, motivation matters. Motivation just matters. Our motivation is what drives us to accomplish things, right? Whatever it is that's motivating us, uh, I mean, even something as simple as doing the dishes, if you're going to do them, you're, you're motivated to have the clean counter, you're motivated to uh, make your spouse happy, you're motivated to have dishes to eat on tomorrow, whatever it might be, there's something that's driving you to accomplish that thing. Maybe it's just you really love doing the dishes. And if that is true, uh, my number is in the bulletin and you can give me a call. We will arrange some dishes for you. Um, The motivation keeps us driving to accomplish. It also keeps us going Uh, gives us some resiliency when things get hard. Or when we, uh, I I talk to people all the time about, well, my resolution at the beginning of the year was I was gonna read the Bible every day, and then I missed like three days in a row, and I just kind of, I was just done. I just gave up on it. Okay. Well, what's motivating? Because if your motivation was, I'm gonna be the kind of person who reads the Bible every day. Well, then yeah, when you missed it, (laughs) or I'm going to become what? What is it that's motivating you? I'm, I'm going to dig into scripture because I want to grow in my relationship with God. Okay, awesome. Then when you miss three days, every day is a new day. Fine, start over, try again. What are the things that keep us motivated and moving and keep us uh, bouncing back when things don't go well? And we talked last week about how as Christians, as Jesus followers, our lives should look different not just from who we were because we keep growing and God keeps doing things and shaping us and and, um, uh, making new things happen in our lives. So we're gonna continue to grow and continue to be different, hopefully, than who we were uh, a month ago, a year ago, whatever it may be. Uh, But also our lives should look different from the people around us. Our lives should look different than who we are when when we're without Jesus or when we're ignoring Jesus. Our, Our lives as Jesus followers should look different because we're following Jesus. We're patterning our lives after who Jesus is and how he lived his life. 
And so it should look different than those who aren't, right? And that includes our motivation. The motivations we have for moving forward should be different than the people around us based on who we know Jesus to be. For example, and my favorite example, at least for the moment, I reserve the right to change my favorite example for things, but at the moment, my favorite example is a lot of people will talk about how they want to eat better or work out, get in better shape, get healthier because they want to live longer, want to have a longer life. And that in and of itself sounds great. Here's the thing, for the Jesus follower, we believe one of the things that is true about Jesus, that is promised by Jesus, is that through his death and resurrection, we've been promised eternal life. And and not just like eternal life is a river that we step into after we die, but it's a river that we step into when we say yes to Jesus. When we say, yes, I believe that Jesus has died for the forgiveness of my sins and raised from the dead to give me eternal life. And I wanna follow him with my life. At that point, we step into this river of eternal life, which means that live longer is a thing Jesus has already taken care of in a way that you couldn't possibly (laughs) He's given us eternal life. So to say, well, my motivation is to live longer is to say my motivation is to do something that Jesus has already taken care of. Now, this may sound like semantics, but it's, it's different to say, well, my, my motivation, my goal is to live longer or my motivation is to be around for my grandkids because I want them to have a better quality of life. Or I want to get healthier because I want my quality of life. As long as I'm here, I want my quality of life and my ability uh, to engage with and love the people around me to be better. That's great. That's great. And those, those are different things. Am, am I trying to make healthier choices because I want a better quality of life for me or the people I love? Or am I uh, trying to make healthier choices because I want to try to do some of God's job for him? Those are different motivations. Our, our motivations are going to look different. And I think one of the traps that we can fall into um, Jesus followers and not, is that we get to this point where we see things that we want to, we, we recognize we want things to be different. And we, we see things in front of us and go, okay, I, I want to make changes here. And a lot of times our motivation, whether we would say this out loud or not, our motivation falls into some sort of category of value. Like, I, I want to see this change in my life because I, I just want to feel like I'm a more valuable person. I'm more valuable to others. I, I want to make this change in my life so that other people will like me better, that, that I'll be more wanted or loved. I want to make this change um, so that somehow, in some way, I can, can shove aside whatever shame or insecurities I feel and just feel like a more valuable, more important person, somebody that other people would actually want to love and be around. And scripture tells us that we don't have to fight for those things. That that God sees us as valuable and lovable already. Here's what scripture says. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He was handed over to die. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. God has already declared you valuable beyond anything you could ever 
earn. It's not about showing up and say, God, I can prove to you that, you, that, that your love, that your sacrifice for me was somehow worth it. God declared you so valuable that he was willing to die for you. He was willing to give up everything for you because that's the value that you hold in the eyes of God because that is how much he loves you. Now, if, if you don't believe that you have God-given value, then, then yeah, you're gonna have to figure out how to give yourself value. You're gonna have to figure out how to make it happen. But for somebody who believes that Jesus loved them, loved you so much that he died for you while you were a mess. I mean, before you ever did anything right, Jesus loved you enough to die for you. And we can claim that value as being true. We don't have to try to, to earn it. For the Jesus follower, we don't have to try to generate God's love for us. We don't have to try to, to make God love us, to make somebody, anybody love us because God has already proven that he does. Our job then is to respond to that love with everything that we are. Those verses I just read are from uh, the book of Romans in the New Testament, the letter that a guy named Paul wrote to uh, the early Roman church. Uh, Paul was a church planter, uh, ended up writing most of what is now the New Testament as he wrote letters to all these churches that he planted. He actually didn't plant the Roman church. He's writing to them to say, here's all this good truth that you church that's already started need to know. Uh, and, and I'm hoping I get to come see you sometime soon. And he pours out this incredible truth of God's uh, love despite our mess uh, the value that we hold in the eyes of God and therefore the value we should hold in the eyes of each other. And, and he goes on to say this in uh, Romans chapter 12. This is verse one. And so, based on all the things that, I mean, based on that stuff I just read about God's love for us and, and its value for us. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. To do right by and with our bodies is an act of worship. And I think sometimes we think of worship and faith as being something that's mental and emotional. It's the thoughts that we have. It's the things that we feel. And we give those things to God. We give our attention to God, our thoughts, our words, our feelings. And Paul is saying, all of you, like you're giving your body, your physical, actual, touchable self to God is an act of worship. That's a huge statement. And it, I'll admit I skipped over the setup to it. So backing up in this letter just a little bit, verse 11 of chapter eight. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And we could spend weeks just picking apart that verse. An incredible promise and like how difficult that is to wrap our heads around. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead 
lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living in you. In another place, in a different letter to a different church, Paul writes that our bodies are a temple, that God has has moved in and his presence is in us, in everyone who has said, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I believe that he died for the forgiveness of my sins and was raised from the dead. And the spirit of God moved in and through him. That spirit of God has moved into us. And that's, uh, that's amazing, incredible news just on its own. And I, I think it's helpful, at least I find it, found it helpful this week to know a little bit more about what the Roman people thought of when they thought of worship, how they engaged in worship. Uh, Rome was uh, a multi-god culture, polytheistic. They had a different god for every different thing. Right? There's a god, god of agriculture, and there's a god of war, and there's a god of family, and there's on and on and on and on, sky and water and all those things. And, and so anytime they uh, needed something in that area, they would go to that god. And worship for them was very, very transactional. It was, it was very like, okay, I'm going to show up and, and you know, war God, we, we're gonna, we need to go win this battle. So I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, God, war God person, if you will give us victory in this battle, I will do something for you. And for the really powerful people, like a general who really needs the war God to step in and give them victory, uh, they would have enough wealth to be able to say, I will build a temple for you. I will build a shrine, a statue, and and we will talk about you and this victory that you gave us, and we will make you famous. So, okay, okay, war God, I I need you to come through, but if you come through for me, I will do something for you. Now, a lot of us have grown up in a church culture that feels very transactional. We get in a tough spot. And we turn to whatever higher power we think we believe in. And we go, okay, God, I really need you to get me out of this tough spot. But if you do, I promise I'll do this thing for you. God, if if you'll just come through this one time, I promise I'll never complain again. Which I think God has to laugh at when we promise that. God, if, if you'll come through on this one thing, I'll, I'll move to Africa, or, or worse, I'll move to L.A., or I will, I'll do something. Just, I'll go wherever you want me to go, God. Well, like, what, what do you want me to? I'll, I'll just do whatever. I need you to come through for me. And it's this very transactional thing. And Paul's writing to people with a very transactional understanding of who a God is. And Paul is saying, this is not about a transaction. You don't have to earn God's favor. God loved you so much before you were ever capable of earning his favor or attention or making him like you or any of those things. You are valuable and you are loved and you don't have to earn it or prove it or turning into turn it into a transaction. And, and he didn't do this for a shrine or a temple. He did it for you. And so he's not moving into, this God will not be present in a temple. This God will be present in you. And so in the same way that we would think about dedicating a, a temple, a presence, a house of God, 
He says, you dedicate your bodies to God as an act of worship. How we treat and how we use our bodies is an act of worship. So treat your body well, because it is the house of God. We treat our bodies well, because for the believer, your body is the house of God. You treat your body well, not so you live forever or, or just so you can feel more confident when swimsuit season rolls around. You, you treat your body well because God values you, all of you, so much that he moved into your heart and your life. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not going to tell you there's some sort of magic BMI number or uh, everybody's body should look the same or everybody should eat a certain way because that is entirely not the point. And when we're thinking about, okay, am I treating my body well? Those are some of the metrics we go to. Uh, We go to calories and pounds and all of those kinds of things to try to figure out, am I treating my body well? So I want to give us a different way of evaluating this idea that I think is far more uh, biblical. Maybe this question uh, will help. Instead of looking for metrics and numbers, ask yourself the question, are you being kind to your body? I mean, if we think about how we treat another person, how we would evaluate, am I treating them well, would start with, am I being kind? Am I being loving? Are you being kind to your body, in, in how you think about or speak about your body, are you being kind? Or a, a different one, one of the, um, one of the pieces of, uh, I guess, self-care is probably the right word, one of the pieces of self-care advice I got as a young parent that has uh, stuck with me um, is somebody, I do not remember who, told us, just because your kids didn't finish all their food, that does not make your stomach the trash can. (laughs) And I went, oh, I hadn't actually paid attention to how often my kids did not finish their food, so I just finished it for them. Because I don't want to waste it, or let's be real, like I chose to get the slightly healthier option and they didn't finish their chicken nuggets. I'm like, oh, I'll just take care of that for them. We would not treat other, in fact, if we treated other people like garbage or garbage cans, we would go, that's not okay. Treat your body kindly. Here's another one. Working your body hard, I think is a good thing. To to work hard, uh, maybe to work out, working your body hard is is fine, that's good. And and to, to see some improvement in your body, sometimes you're going to have to put it through some hard and even painful things. But are you putting your body through hard and painful things because you're trying to treat it well? Or because you are trying to punish your body because you don't like how it looks or feels? These are different motivations. Treat your body kindly. Treat your body well, because it's the house of God. And use your body well, for it is the house of God. What you use your body for, 
uh, work, pleasure, holy or sinful, is a huge part of your interaction with the God who lives in you. What you use your body for is part of your interaction at any given moment with the God who lives in you. Uh, And I don't think we can fully talk about this uh, without talking about what I will call uh, unwanted sexual activities or unwanted sexual behaviors. Uh, And that's a phrase I'm uh, stealing from a book called Unwanted by an author and therapist named Jay Stringer out of uh, Seattle, actually. Uh, And I just want to quote uh, part of that book. He writes, evil hates the beauty of sex. And because it cannot abolish its existence, it works to corrupt its essence. In fact, Stringer says, the kingdom of darkness wants to mar the things that most reveal God. It wants to destroy the rainforest, promote systems of greed, and pit nations against one another in killing sprees. But worst of all, it wants to destroy our bodies, to mar the very qualities that make us most like God, our beauty our ability to give and receive pleasure, and our desire to know and be known. Uh, Some of you know, many of you know, uh, that this is part of my story. Getting stuck in a loop of uh, lying and lust, um, 12 years of what would fall in this unwanted sexual activities category. 12 years of uh, websites that I uh, didn't want to go to and wanted to go to at the same time. Uh, 12 years of uh, believing, um, well, believing a lot of lies. Uh, And it wasn't until I got a a little bit of clarity that I realized I was believing two really significant, really opposite lies. I fully believed that everybody was doing what I was doing, so it was okay. Okay. And I fully believed that nobody was doing what I was doing. And so I couldn't talk to anyone. Lies are insidious and they keep us isolated and hurting and feeling like we are alone. This stuff messed up the first seven or eight years of my marriage in a significant way. Eight years of choosing to pursue a website over pursuing intimacy with my wife stuck in this cycle of lust and lying and shame, a lot of shame, while trying to get a career in ministry started. And eventually had to step out of that ministry because of uh, exhaustion, because of the shame, because of the lies I was believing. And 11 years ago, just about, uh, I was in this room to hear a pastor from this stage say that he had struggled too and that it had messed up his ministry and it had messed up his marriage and that he had gotten some help and that getting help was a thing we could do and that people who were stuck in this were not alone and he found a community of people who would help him through it. And he wanted to provide that community here. He wanted to start a group of men who, who would own their mess and their sin, who would admit to, to struggling with pornography and other things, 
want to create a culture where we talk about it and say, this is a thing that is darkening the door of our hearts and our churches, and we need to deal with it and address it and provide community for guys to know that they're not alone. Provide an opportunity for guys to recognize that, there would, that they could come to a place, to a group, to a group of people and share the stuff they were ashamed of. And instead of being rejected and thrown aside, find that guys would go, hey, that's awful. <laughs> and you're loved and you're forgiven. And find that we don't have to hide. The community and grace are possible. I uh, should have gone running uh, to that group. But the lies that I believed and the shame that I felt, the desire I had to keep hiding, kept me from taking the steps I needed to take. (laughs) Until Wendy looked at me and goes, no, seriously, (laughs) you're going to this group. Now, you do have to want to be there. for any of this to help or work. But I wanted to be there. I wanted to be a better husband and a better Jesus follower. So I showed up and I don't really know what I expected when I showed up. Um, I think I expected to walk into a group of guys that were just scum of the earth losers (laughs) because I just felt like a scum of the earth loser. And I walked in And I walked into a group of guys and I went, and I went oh, actually, I know these guys. And I like, the, these guys are actually the cool guys that I kind of want to be when I grow up. Like this is, I'm not alone in this. Statistically, we know that this is true. Research tells us that 64%, that's almost two thirds, of 13 to 24-year-olds intentionally watch pornography at least once a week. 35%, a third, of all internet downloads are pornography. Porn sites receive more monthly traffic than Netflix or Twitter or Amazon. Actually... Porn sites receive more monthly traffic than Netflix and Twitter and Amazon combined. In a study of pastors, 57% of pastors struggle or have struggled with pornography. I want you to know you are not alone. And I want you to know that freedom is possible. That hope is a thing that we can have. And community is a thing we can engage in. We don't have to hide. We don't have to be ashamed. A year after I jumped into this group and uh, Wendy jumped into a group we had at the time for women who had been hurt by their husband's uh, unwanted sexual behaviors, uh, we agreed to stand up uh, a year later uh, and share our story. And so we got up here and, and I'd agreed to it months earlier. And, and I remember standing up here and saying, you know, when I agreed to do this, uh, I thought this was going to be my victory lap. That we were going to stand up here and say, look at all the ways our life is better and perfect. 
And that what it ended up being was a progress report. Things were better. My, uh, I mean, 12 years in, I am still an imperfect human being who falls so short of the husband I want to be and the man God is calling me to be often. And yet my marriage, my parenting, my relationship with God are all significantly better than they were. That there is freedom, there is community, there are people I can check in with and talk to and I don't have to hide and I don't have to be ashamed. And what I can do at this point is I can do something to help pay that forward. So at the end of the month, starting uh, Tuesday the 25th, I'm starting a, a group for guys uh, using uh, materials from Pure Desire Ministries, which is the same materials or similar materials to what I went through 12 years ago, uh, talking through all of these things, providing community and support and encouragement for each other. So guys, if you are struggling and you feel stuck, I promise you, you don't have to. Whether you're in this room, you're sitting at home, going, yeah, that's, that's my story, which was my reaction when I heard it the first time from this stage. Uh, my information is easily findable on our website. Uh, it's in the bulletin. Um, it's up behind me. Uh, you can email me. My uh, phone number even is in the bulletin here in the room. You can text or call me. Um, and I would love to help you know uh, that you don't have to be stuck, uh, that there is hope and freedom uh, from these things. Now, I also uh, want to make sure that we don't pretend that this is just uh, a guy issue. Um, ladies, if you are struggling with unwanted sexual behaviors, you are also not alone. Uh, we don't have anyone that I know of who could lead a group in our church for that, but Pure Desire Ministries um, their information is also in your bulletin on the screen behind me. And um, they have people who want to help you. Again, you, you're not alone. And the statistics bear this out too. One study said that one in three women watches pornography at least once a week. Another study said 56% of women 25 and under seek out pornography. And 27%, or one out of four, of women over 25. And I think that one of the um, insidious lies that the devil is gloating in is the lie that this is only a guy problem because then when women struggle with it, they feel that much more ashamed and alone. And you're not alone. And there are people who want to help. And you don't have to stay stuck and you don't have to stay hidden. Please reach out to Pure Desire Maybe one day down the road, you can be the person who's leading a group here for us, helping other people get free, helping other people find that they're not alone and that they can find community and freedom as well. And if you are a husband or a wife who has been hurt by your spouse and their unwanted sexual behaviors and activities, which goes well beyond, I mean, that, that's a broad category that covers a lot of things well beyond pornography. Pure Desire also has resources for you and your spouse does not have to want to get better 
for you to find some freedom from the pain that you're experiencing as well. So please, again, you can reach out to me, reach out to Pure Desire. Know that you are not alone. Uh, one, uh, one last heavy one. Um, and this actually um, goes back to how we treat our bodies or maybe more specifically how other people treat and use our bodies. If someone is using or touching or hurting your body in a way that is not treating it well, in a way that is not honoring to God, I want you to know that you are also not alone. I don't want you to feel like you have to stay stuck. Maybe that's a pain you're currently experiencing. Maybe it's a pain you experienced a long time ago. And I know that they said things that made you feel like you had to be alone. You couldn't tell anybody. Maybe even told you things that made you feel like it was your fault. And I want you to know that it is not your fault. And you are not alone. According to the Department of Justice, one in three girls is sexually abused by the time they turn 18. One in seven boys is sexually abused by the time they turn 18. Frankly, those statistics make me a little sick to my stomach. But I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not the only one who's gone through that and you don't have to continue to bear that on your own. There are people who wanna help. There are people who wanna tell you that you are valuable and lovable and nothing anybody else did to you changes that. Also, according to the Department of Justice, in the United States of America, somebody is the victim of domestic violence every nine seconds. Which means that in the time that we will spend in here this morning, something around 500 people will be the victim of domestic violence. If that's you, if somebody is using or touching or hurting your body in a way that's not treating you well and treating you like a valuable and lovable creation of God, I want you to know that you are also not alone. The domestic violence hotline number is in your bulletin. It's on the screen behind me. And I want to encourage you to reach out. Uh, this recording is going to be on our YouTube channel uh, for a long time, which means that this number is going to be here for a long time. And if you or somebody you know needs this number, you can just find it here. You don't even have to Google search for it. I don't pretend to be an expert in any of this. And I'm certainly not gonna tell you what your next steps need to or have to be. I want you to know you're not alone. And I want you to know it's not your fault. And you don't need to feel any shame about it. And that there are people who wanna help. And freedom from what you're experiencing is possible and freedom from the hurt and the shame 
is possible. And if you're not ready to reach out for help, that's okay. No pressure. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bringing this up to pressure or guilt. Again, it's, it's not your fault. I want to bring it up here in this context just to say that maybe for you, the way this year could be different is you could see it as an act of worship to make this phone call. Or somebody you love and care about could see it as an act of worship to make this phone call. It's not being selfish. It's not complaining. It's an act of worship to recognize that how you treat your body, how others treat your body, is part of your interaction, part of their interaction with God. It is not your fault. You don't have any shame to feel here. But there's an opportunity to declare, because God has declared you valuable and lovable, and because that is true, there's an opportunity to make that phone call. There's an opportunity to reach out for help. Now, obviously, we've covered a lot of things, a wide range of things in how we honor God with our bodies and how we give ourselves to God in worship. So let's talk next steps really quick. Uh, one next step that I would like to ask of everybody in this room. Uh, can we all just make sure we take our bulletin home with us? It's got cool announcements in it. It also has contact information in it. And you can recycle it just as soon as you get home if you want. But let's just all take it home. And that way the people who need to take it home don't have to feel weird about that. Okay? So we just all, do me a favor, do each other a favor. Let's just all take the bulletin home today. That's one next step. For you, perhaps the next step then is to reach out to those contact numbers and to say, I, I don't want to live in the shame and the hurt that I'm feeling anymore. Reach out, please. Maybe for you, the right next step is to simply check your motivation. Maybe this is the right next step for all of us. In the ways that we want to see life be different, in the changes that we want to make in our lives, the things we can control, how do you want to see your life be different? And what's your motivation for that? Just check on it. Make sure that what you're doing and even your motivation is honoring to God. Make sure your motivation is in the right place. Asking yourself the question, looking in the mirror, metaphorically or literally, and saying, okay, what's driving me really? What am I really trying to accomplish here? Sin is real, and pain is part of this world. But different is also possible, and freedom is possible, and hope is a gift that God gives us. And we have hope in his goodness and his grace. We have hope because he has declared each and every one of us lovable and valuable. We have hope because God has cherished each of us so much valued us so much that he has moved in. And if you're not sure if God has moved into your heart and your life, it really is as simple as recognizing that Jesus died to forgive you for your sins. That Jesus sees you as valuable and lovable. 
and that God raised him from the dead so that we could have eternal life. And for everyone who believes that, who has said yes to Jesus, who said, because of what Jesus has done for me, I want to return in love and worship and in patterning my life after Jesus. I, I want to return my life to God and give it over to God. For everyone who has done that, God moves in. It is that simple and it is that good. For all of us who have already said that, know that God lives in you. All of his hope and his love and his value of you lives in you. And that, that is a different kind of life. So as we engage in that different kind of life, as we reflect on how we can each worship God with our whole selves, um, as the worship team comes up and leads us in worshiping through music, let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the ways you put your love on display, for the ways that you have shown how much you value each and every one of us. God, would you give each of us the courage and the wisdom, the grace for ourselves to take the next step, whatever that is for us. God, would you lead us into what you have next for us, into the difference you want to make in our lives and the lives of the people around us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.